I love y'all. God gave us a mandate many years ago when we planted now 19 years ago to break pride, poverty, and prejudice. And today at our four campuses in Lafayette, there'll be over 7,000 people, anywhere from 30 to 50% black and 50% white. I know that many of you are burdened by, by what happened in the last couple of days and the racism and the hatred and ugliness. Can I tell you something, folks? We don't have a skin problem. We got a sin problem. Yeah. We have a, and, and tragically, people do it in the easiest form there is. And it's skin color. That's the easiest one. And, and it's not just here. In America, in Europe, there's whites killing whites. In Africa, there's blacks killing blacks. The enemy will use anything to divide. And so I'm grateful that what, what America needs is not somebody to stand up, whether it's the president or Jesse Jackson or anybody else. What it needs is the church to stand up and lead the way. That's what it needs. We have to show. Listen. If we don't believe blacks and whites will go to heaven along with Mexican pastors, come on. <laughs> if we don't believe that, then listen, what do we have to say to the world? If the, most, if the most racially divided hour in America is noon at church on Sundays, what do we have to say to the world? Pastor Bubba's heart, Pastor Josh's heart is for all of our churches to look like heaven. Black and white, rich and poor, skinny and the rest of us. <laughs> Father, we do pray for our nation as it stands in the crossroads. And while people look at the easiest thing there is to pick on, the external, but it is the selfishness and wickedness of man that is so ugly. Cain killed Abel out of selfishness and ugliness. And all throughout history, it is sin. And man chooses the easiest parts, rich or poor, black or white, brown or darker brown, it doesn't matter. We thank you that the solution is the church of Jesus Christ uniting and looking like heaven. Every race, every color, every size, every background gathered under one banner, the cross of Jesus and the blood of Jesus and the name of Jesus and the word of God. And so we thank you for that in Jesus' name. And look at the person beside you and go, I hate the devil. He's always been prejudiced. You may be seated. Well, I, I want to tell you how blessed I am with your pastors. And uh, I, I've often said, I, I know a lot of people um, and minister to a lot of people and have over the years. But if I had my life depended on one phone call and one person to call to help me in whatever the need was that I could knew I would rely on and could be there. I dial 7390017. And in case you don't know, write that down. That's Pastor Bubba's number. <laughs> and he's now since got hearing aids, so now I know he can hear my phone call when I call him. <laughs> so I am so grateful. You know, when, when I was young, I started preaching when I was 14 years old. So I just turned 59. So I've been preaching for 45 years. And... When, when, when I think of the people that were spiritual leaders when I came to Christ in the 1970s in the Jesus movement, where millions and millions of people came to Christ all across the country. Hold one second, let me, there we go. 
I just won't dance, I promise. <laughs> but when I, when, I, when I came to Christ and, and when I look back, if I was to have written the names of all the spiritual heroes that were there at that time, if I was to have written those names in my Bible, 80% of those names I would have erased off because they didn't finish the race. They fouled out. They got bitter. They got angry. They quit. Do you, can you fix this? Are you coming to fix this? Let's give the sound man a hand. They never get any love until there's a problem. Now, am I good? Hey, he is an expert. Show him some love. Come on. And so if I was to do that, most of those people didn't even finish the race. They got bitter. They got angry. They quit. They fell morally. I used to think when, when I was young, I knew what great was. I, th I thought somehow great was famous. You know, like Madonna's famous. <laughs> Do you all know who Madonna is? <laughs> Britney Spears. Okay. The Kardashians. Do you know what? There's a big difference between being famous and being great. Famous is everybody knows your name. Great is your mother and your grandmother and your grandfather. Not everybody knows you, but everybody that knows you wants to be like you. Now, I was thinking recently about just, just the duration of the people that I love, like your pastor, who, who I admire so much. And I, I really think of when I think of the definition of what great is. And I, I kind of decided what I think it is. I think good is being great for a short time. But I think great is just being good for a long, long, long time. And your pastor and your pastors, he and Trace, are great, great gifts to this community. And if you didn't clap, I'll just assume you meant to, but your hands are broken. <laughs> because I don't want it to be like when I die. You know, how many of you have teenagers? How many of you are waiting for your teenagers to tell you thank you for the sacrifices you make for them? <laughs> how many of you get aggravated, agitated? Because they don't. Raise your hand. I know how old Isaac was when God told Abraham to go and kill him and sacrifice him. He was a teenager. And the Lord said, go kill Isaac, your son, your only son. And he said, I've been wanting to do that since he turned 13. <laughs> I always tell people that, that I'm sure that my children are going to, you know, they're going to stand by my grave. You know how they have the private showing for just the family like an hour before? And, and Pastor Bob, I want you to remember this so you'll know what happens because you'll be there. And, and, and when, when, when my children come by and I know what they're going to do, they're going to fall on the casket. Have you ever been to a black or a Mexican funeral? Yes, oh, people jump in the casket. They scream. Oh, it's true. Oh, it's true. It's true. It's true. And, 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 and my children are going to come and they're going to fall on me and go, Daddy. And I'm going to be laying there like this, like with a little cross and a Bible, like right up here. And they're going to go, Daddy, I'm sorry. I should have told you how much I loved you, Daddy. You were being and it's just going to be them crying on me. And I'm going to open my eyes and slap the hell out of them. 
And then, look, and then I'm going to lay back just like this. And they're going to get up off the ground. They're going to go, whoa, whoa. people are going to go, whoa, whoa, what happened? What happened? Pastor Bubba, just remember the Lord, let me come back for one minute just to do that. And then I'm going to just lay back there with that little Bible. You know, oftentimes we think that to live a great life, you actually have to live a long, long time and make a lot of big choices right. I can tell you, I've been Pastor Bubba's pastor since he was a teenager when he got kicked out of the Catholic school for smoking dope on the senior trip. <laughs> they don't like that at Catholic schools. I don't know if you know that. <laughs> I, I know he was telling them, he goes, it's legal in Colorado. And if you got eye troubles, I know, but you're in Lafayette and this ain't Colorado and your eyes are fine. <laughs> but but, but I, will, I, will, I will tell you, watching the faithfulness of God, there's only one time in 37 years that he ever did something I told him not to do. Only one time. He bought a motorcycle right after he got saved and he was about to go up to Bible college. He said to Bible college, he said, don't buy that. Do not buy that. And he bought it. And how much money did you lose? $2,800. $2, well, that might not sound like a lot of money to you. That was like $28,000 back in that day. And he, is, he has just been amazing. He and Tracy. So I just want to truly honor them and tell you how grateful I am to be their pastor and how proud of them I am. <clears throat> so... A lot of times people think that if you in, live a great life, that somehow you made these big, great choices. Like, like big things happened and you made these big, great choices. But the reality is that's not true. The reality is, is you just made a lot of little choices along the way and you kept making the right choices, regardless of what was going on. Today, as we begin this new series, it's called what? Divine, Divine Direction. Because so many people want to know how can I make the right choices? Here's the truth. How many of you here have ever made some wrong choices? How many of you have ever made some long-term choices when you were in a temporary emotion? I often say I never regret one thing I didn't say when I was mad. But I've regretted a lot of things I said when I was mad. And a lot of times we end up making decisions that we regret. And some of you right now have significant decisions that are before you. But what's really interesting to me in this generation is how difficult it is for people to make decisions. As a matter of fact, how many of you got Netflix? Raise your hand. How many got the Dish Network? Raise your hand. That's not food readily. The Dish, dish Network. Okay. Do you know, you know what cable was when I was a kid? Cable was your daddy being on the roof, turning that thing. Turn it, turn it down. Oh, I'm seeing snow. Yeah, oh, oh, we're in Alaska. We're in, oh, no, we're in Florida. Stop. That, that was cable. But the first cable, how many remember that one? Rabbit ears with foil on it. And the longer the foil was, the better cable you had. Grew up with foil all over the windows. How many remember those things? That, that, that. You had three stations, and if you got rabbit ears, sometimes you got four. But now, you can have over a thousand movies on Netflix. You can have over a hundred channels on your TV. Have you ever flipped through all the channels, 
and went, I went through 100 channels. There's nothing to watch. How is that? When there was three channels, you always had something to watch. Do you know why? Because when you maximize the options, you minimize the commitment. When you maximize the options, you minimize the commitment. As a matter of fact, this has been called the Netflix generation. Because they don't, they don't know what kind of decisions to make. Because there's so many things out there. We need divine direction. And in the next few weeks, your pastors are going to lead you on a journey of next steps to make this so practical for you. So today, what we're going to talk about is building a foundation. I want to answer the big question that most people have when it comes to God's will. Here's what it is. What does God care about? What is God's will for me? And here's number one. Here's number one. God cares about who before do. Say that with me. God cares about before do. Let, let, me, let me explain that. The Bible says in 1 Thessalonians 4.3, God's will is for you to be holy. Okay, that's who he wants you to be. That's who he wants you to be. God's will for you is more about who than it is about what you do. The Greek word translated, the Greek word is A-G-I-O-S. That's the word holy. It means to be set apart or to be different. As a follower of Jesus Christ, God is more concerned about what you become than what you do. That's why this series is called Divine Direction and not Divine Destination. As a matter of fact, someone told me as a young Christian something I never forgot. Growing as a Christian is daily giving all I know of me to all I know of Christ. Growing as a Christian is giving all I know of me to all I know of Christ. Let me explain that. How many of you remember when you gave your life to Christ? You were born again. Your spiritual birthday. How many remember that? Okay, well... Good, because a lot of you need to get saved today. That will happen. Okay, when you gave your life to Christ, what are the first things you immediately gave up? Come on. I mean, the ones, yeah, that you can tell us about. Okay, just, just, just say one thing out loud you gave up. One, two, three. Okay, okay. I, the first thing that I gave up was smoking weed. I didn't have glaucoma and I didn't live in California. I, I, I knew I had to give that up. I knew I had to give up being immoral. I mean, those were, I, hey, you got to quit doing drugs and you got to quit being immoral. I knew that. Boom. I knew that. And immediately it was like God that day when I surrendered my life to Christ and I was born again. When, when I did that, my birthday is June the 17th, but my spiritual birthday is the week before Easter, 1971, in the Mexican ghetto of Houston when I prayed with an African-American counselor in a chemistry lab, and he led me to Christ. That became my spiritual birthday. That day, my name was written in a book in heaven called the Book of Life, and when I stand before Jesus, he's going to open up that book, and under the A's is going to be me. That day, I knew from that day forward, my sins were forgiven. Christ was living in me through the power of the Holy Spirit. If I died, the next face I'd see would be the face of Jesus. And if I live, God's plan was going to be revealed through my life. I knew that that day. That was the beginning. It was my spiritual birthday. And that day, I knew no more immorality, no more drugs, no more smoking weed. 
Now, God didn't tell me everything I had to get rid of that day. Because if he would have, he would have said, okay, now you got to quit talking the way you talk. you got to quit dressing the way you dress. you got to quit hanging out with the people you're hanging out with. you got to stop smoking weed. you got to quit being immoral. you got to go. If he would have told me all of that, I would have gone to the cross and said, well, Lord, I'm here. Just, just let me get baptized twice and bring me up once. Because, I mean, there is no way. How many of you know what I'm talking about? But what he did is he put his finger on a couple of big things when I was born again. And then the next day, he said, now I want you to start reading my word. And as I began reading that word, all of a sudden it started speaking to other things. And I said, okay, I'm going to give that. I'm going to surrender that to God. And then he said, okay, now I want you to forgive your parents. I said, okay, I'll do that. He goes, now I want you to go and to repent to the girls that you've taken advantage of. And so I went and repented to them. And it, and it was step by step giving all I know of me to all I know of God. What was God doing? He was making me holy. He was setting me apart. I can remember the day, I can remember the day when I let my friends go. Y'all want to hear that story? It's not in the sermon, but it's so good you need to hear it. I was at Donald Wood's house. Donald Wood was my best friend. His daddy was white, his mama was a Mexican. And so we were with Gene St. Germain, who was a skinny little kid who wore plastic shirts, had a stingray bicycle and rotten front teeth, smoked cigarettes all the time. Steve Kelly, who was the older than us, he was two or three years older than us, and he was a new kid that moved in the neighborhood. He had red hair, freckles, kind of the leader by virtue of his age. Donald Wood, who was my best friend since third grade, and me. And we're at the clotheslines in his mama's backyard. How many remember clotheslines? How many of you still got them? Come on, raise your hand and shame the devil. <laughs> and so <clears throat> we were standing between the clotheslines, and Gene St. Germain pulled out a joint. Now, for those of you who don't know what a joint is, <laughs> ask the people that are laughing. They used to smoke them. <laughs> and so, so he, he pulled out a joint and he lit it up. There <laughs> you go, man. Gave it to Steve Kelly. Steve. There you go, man. Gave it to Donald Wood, my best friend. Here you go, Jake. And I knew I had to tell him. I knew it. Some of you are in that place. I got to break off that relationship. I got to tell him I'm not sending those pictures anymore. I got to quit double clicking. I got to break off that relationship that always causes me to stumble. And it got to me, and I knew this was my moment. This was my moment. And I looked at them, and I said, I, I can't do that anymore. And they went, why not, man? I said, I, I got something better. And they went, turn us on, Joy. <laughs> like, sincerely. I said, um, I gave my life to Jesus, and I don't want to do that anymore. I can remember standing there. I can remember right now like it happened five minutes ago. Steve Kelly, who was sitting straight across from me. Donald Wood was right here. Gene St. Germain was right here. And Steve turned around and started walking away from the sheets. And the other guy started following him. And I started walking behind him like this. And he stopped and he looked at me and he said, Jacob, 
We don't want you hanging out with us anymore. You're done. Split. Hook them. Leave. Leave. And I can remember turning away under those sheets and heading home, knowing that was the last day. That was the last day. Three years later, actually four years later, I'm now 19 years old. I moved away when I was 17 to Waco, Texas to be with my, my pastor who raised me like his own son. And he sent me, right, I graduated from high school to go to England and preach in schools because you could speak in school assemblies and share your story about how Christ changed your life. And I went for three weeks and ended up staying for three months. And I would speak to hundreds of kids every day in little churches of 150 people. 200 kids would come out that night to hear me from the school and get saved. And when churches began hearing about it, I just began going from city to city and community to community all over England, Wales, Scotland, Belgium, France, sharing my story. You know how long ago it was? The ticket on Braniff Airlines was $69 going one way from Dallas-Fort Worth to London and $79 coming back. And I was mad they charged me $10 more. <laughs> My luggage can't even go for that anymore. Three and a half years have passed. Four years, I'm 19 years old. I've just got back from England and I'm going back to my own neighborhood and I want to go see Donald Wood. 19 and a half years old, just gone to Europe. Thousands of kids were saved. And I go knock on Donald Wood's door. And his mother comes to the door and goes, Hey, Jacob, how are you doing? Man, I haven't seen you in a long time. Where you been? I said, Is Donald here? And Donald came out. And he goes, Jacob, what are you doing? And I started telling him where I'd been, what God had done in my life in the last three and a half, four years. And I'll never forget this. He looked at me and here's what he said. How did you get out of this hell? And you know what I said to him? It began almost five years ago at the sheets in your mama's backyard. You went one way and I went another. You followed Steve Kelly, and I followed Jesus and his friends. And we both ended up in a different destination. That was not about weed. That was about me becoming holy. It was about me beginning to put Christ in the center of my life. And that's why. When Jesus talks to us, he talks to us about the who before do. He's talking to us about our character and our calling, not about our occupation. You're not called to be a doctor or a lawyer or a plumber or a painter or a preacher or a housewife. You're called to be a godly man or woman. And as you become that, setting yourself apart to the Lord, then you begin to be shaped by who Christ is inside of you. The question people ask is, what does God want me to do? But the better question is this, who does God want me to become? To Jesus, it's the who before the do. His primary will is to take my character and to shape it into the character of Christ. Look, I'm a pastor. That's what I do. But if when I leave here, I live differently than I preach... And I'm a good preacher, but a bad Christian. 
Am I successful? No. No. Someone once said of their pastor, he was so good in the pulpit and so bad out of it, they wanted to chain him to the pulpit. Come on, you know Christians like that. They're so holy in church and so bad out of church, you wish you could chain them to this chair. Don't point, just say it's true. The God's design is that he is more concerned with the who before the do. How does this apply to you? How does this apply to me? Who do I date? It doesn't matter who you date. If you're a godly man or a godly woman, ungodly people don't want to be around you. There was a girl I was witnessing to the other day, and she just got out of a horrible relationship where a guy got her pregnant. She had two children with somebody else before that, and she's in this horrible relationship, and he's on drugs, and she ends up putting him out. Now she has a child from him, and now she has three children, no daddy. So I ministered to her along the way. She doesn't come to the church, but she goes to another church in town. I just see her at a place that I frequent, and, and, and I, I said to her, Two weeks ago, I said, well, man, how, how, how's everything going? She goes, well, I have a new boyfriend. I said, really? Well, tell me about it. Well, I mean, he has a good job. Hey, if you're lowering the level to he just has a job, well, what, what's right below that? Well, he's breathing. Come on. And she said, you know, he has a good job. He's about 10 years older than me, but he's stable. And I said, listen, I said, is he a godly man? Well, I'm not sure. She's in the same relationship she was in before. Guess what? The problem is not the guys. Guess who the problem is? She's not putting God first in her own life. She's not looking at the who before the do. If you become a godly person, only godly people will want to be around you. If you continually attract ungodly people, holler. <laughs> so God is more concerned with the who before the do. Before you think about what you're going to do in your future, think about who you are in the present. Here's the second thing. God's will is why before what? Why before what? Say that with me. God's will is why before what? Okay, it's who before do and it's why before what? Listen to what Proverbs 16.2 says. People may be pure in their own eyes, but the Lord examines their what? motives. Do you know that you can do the right thing for the wrong reason? Some of you are here in church for the wrong reason. Mm -hmm. Some of you men got tired of being cut off for a week. I just go to church. Hopefully it changes your luck. In other words, we all have the ability to deceive ourselves the heart is deceitful above all things, and our motives matter to God. Here's an old saying. There are two reasons why everybody does something. The reason, number one, they tell people. The reason they tell people. And number two, the real reason. The real reason. Come on. We all have children. I, I, have, I, have, I have six children, and, and I'm going to tell you this. My last two children are like my grandchildren. My older children are so mad at them. 
My fifth son, his car cost more than the previous four boys' first car combined. He had this $40,000 jacked up mannish truck. When you got near that truck, your, your voice dropped three octaves. My second oldest son as a pastor came walking in. He goes, it ticks me off. I said, what? He goes, everything you do for him. Do you know my first car cost $2,000? And he just starts telling me everything that he's ticked off about. And he has two children. He said, you know what I'm doing? I said, what? He said, I'm giving everything to my oldest son, Eli. Everything. <laughs> when my fifth kid comes around and says, hey, daddy, what do I get? Go, nothing. We gave it all to your older brother. Get a job. I know, Daddy, but I'm eight. Shut up and get a job. <laughs> but my youngest is, is, is our daughter. Many of you know we have an African-American daughter that we adopted that, from, from St. Martinville. Her, her mom walked up when she was five years old and gave her to my wife at the altar. True story. Just gave her to my wife. And Amberly Grace is my heart. And I'm telling you, that little girl will come and she would just come and put her arm around me and rub herself up on me and I start throwing cash and credit cards <laughs> and keys. I mean, it, it's ridiculous. And, and so last night, uh, she, she comes in and she's been, she was a, a week in Haiti working in an orphanage and then she was home for a week and then she went on a week uh, to, to Florida with a family in the church. And so she comes in and I'm, of course, waiting for her and she does what she always does, comes, sits up on my lap, lays right here and just tells me everything that I need to know, five minutes, and then after that I'm good. So she goes up, gets to take a shower thing, friend comes over and she comes running up to me and she goes, hi, Daddy. I'm just so glad to be here with you. I said, thank you. She goes, um, we're going to the mall. And I need to eat. I love you, Daddy. And, and I know that she does love me. But I am being manipulated. And every daddy said, Amen. Amen. Psalms 139, 23, and 24, David says this Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything that offends you and lead me along the pathway of everlasting life. If we're really to be honest before God, sometimes a lot of our motives are not right. Sometimes our motives are selfish. Sometimes our motives are self-pleasing. It's almost impossible to end up in the right destination when you start off with the wrong why. The why really matters to God. Someone said it like this, when you lose your why, you lose your way. When you lose your why, why you're doing it, why you're doing it. I've been married 35 years. You should clap for that. Let me tell you why you should clap. I'm the first person in four generations to be faithfully married to one woman. My grandfather, well, my father has been married five times. My mom married two times. The man she married to my daddy been married seven times and she divorced him. 
My grandfather ran around on my grandmother who was in his late 60s and he got saved and became a preacher for three years and acted like he never sinned a day in his life. Okay. His father abandoned his family in Mexico and ran off with a Mexican bandito named Pancho Villa. There are six children in my family. Five of them have been unfaithful and or divorced or lived together with someone multiple times. Do, do you know why I can say I've been married 35 years? Because I got up every day and went, I'm not going to let my children go through the hell I went through. I might not get what I want out of marriage today, but I will not give my children what I hated. I might not get what I want. And this may be your second marriage or your third marriage or your fourth marriage. Or like my daddy, it may be your fifth. But somewhere along the line, you have to stop and say, today, I'm going to make the little choices to be able to give my children, who I love, what I always longed for. And to make sure I don't give them what I always hated. It is those daily choices. It is those minute by minute choices. Let, let me show you how this works. Colossians 3, 17 says, Whatever you do or say, do it as a representative of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to him, to God the Father. Whatever you do, if you're a mama wrestling with kids all day long, changing diapers, do it as unto the Lord. If you're a daddy and you're struggling through every week to make the payment on whatever it is you're living in, whether it's rented or barred or a trailer or a home or a farmstead or whatever it is, do what you do with all your heart as unto the Lord. It's not just about what you do. It's about why you do it. It's about why you do it. People look at someone who's successful and think they must have made those few big choices, decisions I talked about. No, 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 no. It's thousands of small decisions. Who before do? Why before what? Let me give you a simple exercise that's helped me. Because here's the truth. In your children's phone at 10 is more temptation than you ever faced to if you combined all your temptation by the time you were 40. Do you know why so many adults, 40, 50, 60, and 70 years old, are doing stupid things teenagers do? Because for the first time, they're facing te temptations that teenagers are facing that they never faced before. So I want to give you a personal exercise that helps me make those little choices. Okay? Is there temptation in the world? Can you pick up your phone and see a number of unclothed people if you like? Yes. Absolutely. Absolutely. Can you hear things that people say about you that hurt you and offend you? Can you look at bitterness and hatred and prejudice in the world and become angry and resentful? That means that you have to resist more temptation, be more forgiving, more loving, and turn away from more temptation than any generation in history. So how do you do that? When I grew up in my mom's bar, I came home every day and served beer after I got saved. That's what I had to do from the time I was 14 till I moved with my pastor when I was 17. There were pictures of naked women half the size of this screen all over. 
There were prostitutes that worked in the bar, and there were the pictures. Pastor Bubba's been to the bar. He's been to my mama's bar. How, how do you deal with that? How, how do you face temptation like that and not regularly give in to it? Someone said to Billy Graham, how can you tell when you're lusting? And Billy Graham said, well, when you see someone that's attracted the first time, if you look the second time, it's lust. And the guy said, well, good. I'll just look long and hard the first time. <laughs> I, I don't think that's what Billy Graham meant. I don't think that's what he meant. So watch this. Your mind is like a screen that's pure that God wants to give you divine direction through. Okay? Your mind is your soul. Your soul. Your soul is your mind, will, and emotions. Now, let me show you this. I am a spirit created in the image of God. I have a soul, mind, will, and emotions, and I live in my body. I am a spirit. I have a soul. I live in my body. I am a spirit, I have a soul, my mind, will, and emotions, and I live in my body. Everybody with me? God wants to speak to you in your mind. And if you'll keep this clean, then God can give you divine direction. The enemy's plan is to throw all kinds of junk all over this. Like mud on a windshield. You ever driven through these country roads and you're behind somebody and they're driving in front of you and there's just mud slinging everywhere and you can't even see out of the windshield. What do you have to do? The Bible says you are cleansed through the washing of the water by the word. You spray it with water. You will, I rebuke that. I, I resist that in the name of Jesus. That's a lie. I'm grateful for the wife God's given me. I'm so grateful for my children. I will fight for my destiny in the future God has for me. It's purity, the reason God created me. I'm not going, and that every time, it, when, when I started as a young believer, living in my mama's bar, I'd go, okay, it was hard. Like, I'm not looking. It was back there. Oh, I looked. Okay, and then as I grew, it's, I'm not looking there. I'm not looking there. Then as I got older, okay, it's, I'm about, look at that. Okay. Now I've been a Christian for over 40 years. It's like this all the time. Because there's more things that the enemy's trying to throw on there because there's more things that God wants to say to us. Man, that is so good. That is so good. And if you can get that, if you can get that, then you will... Take the opportunity to make countless decisions a day to die to yourself so that you can become who God wants you to become. Here's a question. What does God want me to do? A better starting place is who does God want me to become? I passed the halfway point in my life. How many of you here are 40 or over? Raise your hand. Let me explain it to you because you now know. When you're a teenager, it seems like life is going 10 miles an hour. I can't wait to, till I become a teenager. Teen. I'll be 13. Teen. <laughs> you remember that? Look at somebody 13 and say, aren't you 12? 12! I'm 13. <laughs> teen. Okay? And then they get out of junior high school. Aren't you in junior high school? I'm in high school. <laughs> high school. I'm in high school. Okay, 
And it just seems like life is going. You just think, I can't wait till I get out of elementary. I can't wait till I get out of junior high school. I can't wait till I get out of high school. It seems like life is going 10 miles an hour. Anybody remember those? How many of you would do anything in the world to be back in junior high today? No bills, somebody else paying for everything. Cook meals there, food, clothes. Well, you fool, you should have been thankful when you were there. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to say that. That was my parent, inner parent coming out. So now, watch this. Then you turn 20 and it speeds up to about 20 miles an hour. Then all of a sudden you blink and you're 30 and it's like, what happened to 20? It's 35 miles an hour. Then you start heading towards 40 and it's going 50 miles an hour. Then you get 50 and you're going 90 miles an hour. And then one day you turn and you look back and you're 60 and you go, boy, that happened quick. I'm 59. Look like I'm 39. Feel like I'm 29. My wife said last week I was acting like I was 19. It gives you perspective. You start looking at what really, really matters in life. Think about what Jesus did. The rejection he endured. The betrayal by his friends he endured. The heartbreak of watching his mother watch him suffer. When he could have called angels down and destroyed everything. But he did it for you and me. Why did he do that? Because there was a why behind the what. And the why was you and me. The why was so we wouldn't carry the burden of guilt and fear and shame for the rest of our lives. Those aliens that came and invaded the Garden of Eden and every one of us hated it in our own life. It's why we have the addictions we have. It's why we have the pressures, the insecurities we have. Because of fear and guilt and shame. And just like you don't ever want your children to experience that, God never wanted you to experience that. And that's what Jesus came to remove, the fear and the guilt, and the shame. When you want to do something big in the future, be who God calls you to be today. When you look at the teachings of Jesus, it's not about their career. It's about who they would become. If you are becoming the right who, God will help you choose the right do. If you're driven by the right why, you will always be led to the right what. So today as we close, don't worry about the do out there. Worry about the right who right here. Don't freak out about what's there in the future. Be faithful to what's right here, right now. How many of you would like to say with me, before I focus on the do or the what, I want to give God permission to work on my who and my why?